Talk Radio. Talk, talk, talk radio. You're listening to the UK Politics Library Podcast with your host, Miguel Hayworth. Um, in the last series, we did a two part series on the Eucharist, and now we're moving on to uh, the topic of um, Mary. Um, where we left off was we were explaining where how I was explaining how um, in the Catholic Church Mary's held to a high position more high than Jesus Christ and the Father and so I'm going to continue from um, the quotation from Modern Romanism and this was published in May 1927 page 240 it says it is the climax of a monstrous doctrine which ought to have been nipped in the bud a doctrine that attributes Mary a more powerful a more perfect love and sympathy towards sinners than to Christ with a more accessible, powerful meditation than that of the Son of God, and indirectly aims exalting Mary to an e- equality with the incarnate Son of the Highest. Um, a Catholic scholar may give reference to Paul in Colossians 2.4, where he uh, will say, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you? Fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church making the entire doctrine at one verse rather than contextualizing what Paul was saying Paul did not give himself the title co-redeemer but if you notice in the Bible the term redeemer makes reference to an unsaved person who is redeemed as being reconciled through Christ the word redeemer or co-redeemer does not give reference to or place to any human being. Um, Paul makes reference of his sufferings clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 to 8. And he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our uh, console, consolation also abound, abindeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted is for your consolation consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer or whether we be comforted as um, it is for your consolation and salvation and our hope of you is steadfast knowing that you are partakers of the sufferings so shall you also so shall ye be also of the consolation 
For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. And when we were pressed out of measure but strength, inasmuch that we were despised even of life, despaired even of life. Paul, um, in this, you you uh, notice he never gives reference to those who are servants of Christ can redeem others. Rather than what the Bible does, it teaches it is through Christ alone who offers redemption, according to Hebrews 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 to 28, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Um, Rome rejects this whole idea that we can be redeemed, and so we need um, we need the priests or the, need the Church of Rome in order to justify us, uh, because according to um, the canon law, which came out of Trent, now this was on the session of justification, and it was canon nine. And they say, if anyone says that sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that there is nothing else required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that in any way, it's not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. If anyone says, Canton, if anyone says that men justify without the justice of Christ, whereby merits for us by the justice um, that justice are formally uh, just, let them be anathema. If anyone says, Canon 11, that anyone, any man is justified by even the sole imputation of the justice of Christ, or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of grace, and the charity that is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Ghost, which remains in them, and by the grace which we are justified, um, is only the will of God, let him be anathema. If anyone says that, can 12, that justifying faith is nothing else other than confidence in the divine mercy which remits Christ's sake, then is confidence alone that justifies us, let him be anathema. Cam 13, if anyone says that in order to obtain the remission of sins, it is necessary for any man to believe with certainty and without hesitation arising from his own weakness and in disposition that the sins are forgiven him, let him be anathema. Um, there's about, it goes from, I've read from Cam 9, it goes all the way to 33. And ty- 33 times the tri- the Council Trent is given these curses. Let them be anathema, cursed. Uh, it means you're false. You are not truly in the faith. You're outside the faith, and the only true faith is in the um, is is the Catholic one. But get on to um, justification. How they view redemption. They they talk about co- Paul being this co-redeemer or redeemer. Um, it doesn't really justify Rome's position. The Pope admitted he acted on his own authority by such matters of faith, on faith, and would only so show such statements by the Pontiff to be blasphemous. The Bible makes no reference to Mary being the new Eve. This teaching states: 
In her total yes to the divine plan, Mary is completely free before God and at the same time she feels personally responsible for humanity, whose future was linked with her reply. The Holy Father and the general audience of Wednesday 18th September as he exclaimed the significance of Mary as New Eve. Here is a translation of the Pope's Catechist, which was given in Italian and was the 33rd in the series of the Blessed Mother. And that was called to the EWTM, which is like the Catholic uh, channel uh, website. As we can see from the historic timeline, which we I'll explain following this, concerning the development of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, the Popes would not allow any dissent um, concerning the matter, even though this was not without controversy, especially between Dominicans and Franciscans. Now, from 18, uh, sorry, from 1483, the it shows. Um, through the various timeline, um, this this very development. Um, now, this was state stated in the book called Our Brief Against Rome, which was published in 1907, page 128. 1483, Pope Sixtus V condemned those who maintained that the doctrine itself was heretical. In 1570, Pope Pius. Uh, forbade all uh, public discussion on the matter. In 1622, Pope Gregory strictly forbade anyone to maintain even private discussions that the Blessed Virgin was conceived in original sin. In 1750, Pope Benedict summoned up the matter that the Church inclines to the opinion of the Immaculate Conception, but the Apostolate See has not yet defined it as an article of faith. 1849 Pope Pius on February 1st wrote to Gator um, to the bishops of the Catholic world to ascertain their feelings and their opinions on the matter. The Italian, Spanish and Portuguese bishops there was about 490, 490 in, in number. Um, they were Almost, they were nearly unanimous in favour of defending this doctrine. But the most eminent bishops of France, Germany, Switzerland depicted, sorry, they um, depreciated the uh, proceedings. In 1854, Pope Pius, on December 1st, in the presence of more than 200 bishops, solemnly defined the doctrine as a truth contained in original teachings of the apostles as an article of divine faith this when it became a uh, dogma that's what when they present articles of divine faith they're talking about dogmas uh, so this is like the uh, an eternal law that can never be undone once uh, a doctrine becomes dogma it's a dogma forever so it's because it becomes an article of divine faith what the saying is you cannot disagree with this by doing that you're rejecting uh, the church of Christ well they say the, the true church which is Catholic um, now for over 500 years the dogma of the Immaculate Conception was developed in the Roman church 
Now the Vulgate, which is the Bible in Latin, would show a complete mistranslation of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And they would also use this to give Mary the status that she does not have. Uh, which says, I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and between the, the, thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and, that, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. So, whereas the correct rendition of the Hebrews in the King James Version, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, and it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now the Vulgate got it wrong. Now the, getting on to the point where it just read, she shall crush thy head, and in the King James it says, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel and the Vulgate says her heel immediately after the definition uh, statutes to the Virgin were raised at every part of France inscribed with the words uh, I can't read French but I think it's uh, Oh Mary conquer sans peche pres pour nos or um, uh, Again, with the famous text in Latin, which was, She shall crush thy head. The doctrine itself has been discussed in the most painfully minute by the Roman writers. And we might be thankful as the Protestants we, as Protestants we spread these unholy and scriptural refinements. The scriptures um, more emphasise that it was our Lord who was a, a pure virgin. She was the most favoured amongst all women, and she rejoiced in God her Saviour. Upon the excommunication of the translation in in Gralia Plena, it means full of grace, we see this by looking at the Greek word, um, which in Luke means highly favoured. It is never described as Mary being full of grace, but rather Mary received grace from God. In Luke 1 verse 30 it says, And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. The question is then, was Mary the Immaculate Conception or Jesus? The Vatican teaches as an article of faith that Mary herself was born without sin, from the very moment that she came into this world through conception. And there is no trace of original sin in her compared to the rest of mankind. Mary alone was exempt by miracle of God. Um, a declaration was made on the 8th of December in 1854 by P Pope Pius. And he said, We declare, pronounce and define that the doctrine which holds to the most blessed Virgin Mary in the first instance of her conception by singular grace privilege granted by mighty God in the view of the merits of Jesus Christ the Saviour of the human race was preserved free from all stain of original sin 
its doctrine revealed by God and therefore is to be firmly and constantly by all the faithful and what they mean by the faithful it's the um, Catholic uh, faithful we know from the Bible that uh, when we read articles concerning what Pope Pius wrote in 1854 it's shown that he's outright rejecting scriptural authority in two accounts the first being that the only one who's free from original sin is Jesus Christ himself as stated in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 22 the Bible teaches that Jesus alone was conceived and the only perfect one um, and the only one without sin because Jesus is the only one in complete union with God's divinity as uh, spoken of in John chapter 1 verse 14 Col uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 um, and then we read the following scriptures where it talks about Jesus but never gave reference to Mary but it says he is to be worshipped in Matthew chapter 2 verse 2 to 11 and Matthew chapter 14 verse 33 he was called of God he was called God in John chapter 20 verse 28 and Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 he was called the son of God in Mark 1 1 he was prayed to in that chapter 7 verse 59 he was sinless in 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 22 and Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 he knows all things John chapter 21 verse 17 he gives eternal life in John chapter 10 verse 28 and all the fullness of the deity dwells in him in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 no one can ever describe Mary as she was not free from original sin none of this uh, in scriptures describe Mary Secondly, Mary could not have been sinless because in Luke chapter 1 verse 46 to 47 refutes this. We know historically that the doctrine of Mary being free from original sin gradually came in through successive popes who taught that at no point throughout Mary's life did she sin. However, when we read the Bible it clearly states that all have descended from Adam has uh, inherited sin the only exception the Bible makes is Jesus in Luke's gospel Luke chapter 1 verse 46 to 47 Mary makes reference to my saviour the very words my saviour shows that Mary is confessing that she needs a saviour thus it is very clear that she recognised the stain of sin in her own life to state this otherwise means that any Roman Catholic would have to infer that Mary is lying about her own words my saviour she was admitting that she was not sinless but she was sin like everyone else the scriptures refute Rome's or the Vatican's position on the Immaculate Conception the following scripture references you can note these are Romans chapter 3 verse 23 Romans chapter 5 verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22, 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 to 10, Romans chapter 3 verse 10, and also Mary had to make an offering for sin 
for the purification of the birth of the birth of the son, because Mary was considered ceremonially unclean, as mentioned in Luke chapter two, verse twenty-two to twenty-four. This was also confirmed in Leviticus chapter twelve, verse six to eight. That this is a requirement for every Jewish woman. The dogma of the Immaculate Conception takes Jesus from the centre of faith and places Mary as the primary focus in the minds of many Catholics. We read in the scriptures that no true Christian should pray to Mary. Example, the Rosary. Jesus makes this very clear and places the Word of God of more importance than Mary. In Luke chapter um, 11 verse 27 28 and it happened, as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More blessed are, uh, than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The handbook to the controversy of Rome, 1909, page 133 states, Holy Scripture has naturally no occasion to speak of sin on the part of the Mother of our Lord. As for what has been regarded as such by Protestant expounders of Scripture, that she neglected the most sacred duty towards God and the care of her Divine Son, when on the journey back from Jerusalem she allowed, she allowed him out of her sight for a whole day. Such harmless motives may be fought for the lack of anxiety um, that only a strong indication that in that direction could pronounce that there was anything wrong here. Therefore, there is more for force at work. Sorry, um, there is more force in the remark um, that the propensity of the mother with regards to her exalted son in the mindset of the work point mindset so the the midst of the work points of work points although not obviously um to sinfulness with reference to some man yet an ill humour altogether devoid of guilt which could give occasion for the mischievous suggestion which she made for the mother had merely come with others on account of evil reports concerning him in order as um, Olsen taught to draw comfort from herself his company as um, to soften down what was an offence in the view of his relations there was no hint of the context of the narrative and the reference that divine relations that divine word does not permit our uh, inventing even anything with good intentions. Second Peter chapter 16 For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ but there were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Rome's article of faith on the Immaculate Conception is nothing more than cunningly devised fables there is no scriptural for sports for such teaching. A cunningly devised fable is devised to be acceptable. 
In order to make this dogma acceptable, the Roman Catholic Church had to introduce it slowly. Over time, the popes made this increasingly popular. There was nothing more than another doctrine by the vain, uh, by the vain imaginations of the Roman pontiffs. In First Timothy chapter one, verse three to four, as I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus when I went into Macedonia and thou might change some uh, uh, that they teach no other doctrine neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith to do so so you see we don't really need to put our faith and trust in Mary Um, and go after so many hundreds of years of man-made religion and their interpretation of scripture which was completely erroneous there's much to be said concerning these uh, teachings and these theological arguments that are rather weak foundations Um, so yeah um, so that that was basically to conclude um, with the questions Mary Immaculate but the answer to that is I don't believe she is because the word Immaculate refers to that like what was stated in Trent that Mary is without sin she was born Immaculate and so she is the Immaculate Conception it's not Jesus is the Immaculate Conception he's the one that has no sin uh, he's the one that saves us, and yes, the Bible does teach justification by faith alone. Um, doesn't teach anything other than that, but it's like I was uh, saying that Rome likes to attribute its own views and impose it on others who do not necessarily know what the Bible teaches. They don't necessarily read it. And so Catholics believe by honouring her, going to Mass, or doing what's required of them, they can get into heaven, which is far from the truth. Um, the next um, half hour that I'm going to do, I'm going to cover on um, the subject of Mariality. And it's to refute uh, the claims of the Church of Rome on this issue. Um, so, what is Mariality? It's going, I'm going to explain how it is the excessive devotion, the worship of Mary. Uh, so, what I tend to do is examine these claims that Rome makes and bring the truth, the light of the truth into it to expose this fruitless um, work of darkness. Um, I want to say God bless you. And please bear with us and um, feel free to join us after the break. Hello and welcome back to the uh, last half hour of the programme. For those who've just joined us um, I'd like to uh, 
uh, recap, we we just been going over the um, question: Is Mary Immaculate? And looking at the various claims that um, throughout time the Pope's made, and why the doctrine has gone to the point where it is today. Now, the this subject is going to be a new subject, and it's called Mariality Refuted. I'm going to do this in, in uh, parts, and this is going to be like the first part, and then I'll continue next week. Um, Mariolatry is the ex uh, excessive devotion and worship of Mary. Um, that's what it means. So, what we're going to look at is that we're going to examine the claims that the Roman Catholic Church makes on this subject now through going through well in my own studies on this issue what I found is that Rome has really no scriptural basis for placing Mary or Joseph for that matter as being equal which is making no distinction I'm not going to cover on the doctrine Joseph um, just yet that's going to be probably another time in the future but I'm just going to focus on uh, Mary, but Joseph does have a role to play in um, in this in this area. Um, so when we look at uh, Mary and Joseph, they have no uh, scriptural basis for placing Mar uh, them um, unequal and being equal with Jesus. Um, so they're lo losing the distinction. Uh, between them as intercessors. Now in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 this claim is outright refuted. It says and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence. Mary cannot dominate the church, nor can she lead anyone to Christ, for this one is the work of the Holy Spirit alone. As uh, mentioned in John chapter 16 verse 13, and um, this says, How about when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, and he will guide you into all truth? For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. I don't read that being Mary. In other words, Mary and Joseph cannot make intercession for us. When Catholics speak to Joseph and Mary by praying, by prayer or any other means, they are attempting to communicate with the dead. Such communication is forbidden. This is sin in the eyes of God even if they are saints in heaven. For there is nothing is from scripture that instructs us to, supports or even suggests that any dead saint, or even Mary for that matter, has any power over us. This is simply because it's God alone who has the power to answer prayer through Christ, interceding on our behalf. He is the only one and the only true God, and there's no other gods or goddesses or any other spirit that can intervene by any means on our behalf. The Bible defines this as spiritualism, or the practice of uh, a medium, 
or one who calls up the dead. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 19, God calls this practice an abomination. And for other references, having any form of communication with the dead, or attempting such, are mentioned in the following scriptures. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31 says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 6 And the person who turns after mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. 1 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 13 So Saul died for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the Lord because he would not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted with a medium for guidance. Calling up the dead can be through a prayer. It is believed that these saints or Mary can hear us from heaven and can intercede directly with God on our behalf, or even appear directly to us through various apparitions, especially Mary, seen in many parts of the world. Such practice is never condoned in scripture. Catholic apologists have often uh, have a defense for this by saying, I'm just going to quote someone who is uh, a Catholic, from a Catholic theologian and he says, seeking the dead on behalf of the living and calling up the dead is necromancy and we engaged in nothing of the sort when we pray to the saints. And they say first of all the saints aren't dead, they're as disembodied spirits in heaven. They are in fact very much alive. Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And it's not the God of the dead but of the living. In Matthew chapter 22 verse 31 to 32. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they died a long time ago. Yet Jesus refers to them as living, the living ones of whom he is God. But... Um, by his grace the saints conquered death and I dare say now um, are more life for, uh, uh, alive than you and I are. This explanation from a Roman Catholic apologist is flawed. As he points out, first of all the saints are de aren't dead as disembodied spirits in heaven, they are very much in fact alive. So. When we look at Matthew chapter 22 verse 31 to 32, they quote, he quotes, Have you not read what is said to you by God that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Whilst in one sense it is true that those in heaven are very much alive, as spoken of in Revelations chapter 6 verse 9 to 10, which says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them which were slain, and the word of God for the testimony which they held, and the cry of a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, a holy and true, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? However, the quote from Matthew chapter 22, verse 31 to 32 was not in context. When death occurs physically, the body is dead, but they are very much alive as the soul lives on, whether in heaven or in hell. 
It does not give us consent to communicate or pray to those who are alive in the kingdom of heaven. Now in Matthew chapter 22 verse 31 to 33, it was the recording which the words of our Lord was clearly giving reference to his own bodily res resurrection. Physical death does not bring an end to the soul, it lives on. The Bible teaches, teaches us that the soul exists for all eternity, even the lake of fire spoken of in Mark chapter 9 verse 45 to 46, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 17 and Jude chapter 13, sorry, Jude uh, verse 13, or in the kingdom of heaven spoken of in John chapter 7 verse 28. The Roman Catholic Church does not see that praying to Mary or Saint Joseph as necromancy, but what is quoted here will is a misuse and a misapplication of such practices. Roman Catholics believe that they are not communicating the same sin as soul in 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 20 to 25. But again, as the prophet Samuel appealed to Saul through the witch of Endor, who was nothing more than conjurer, so Mary appears to the Roman Catholics through the witch of Endor, but another medium, the Vatican. It is my belief that calling upon Mary to make intercession has resulted in the so-called Marian apparitions, and even to the point that these apparitions give messages to the Roman Catholic Church, which the ecclesiastical authority receives often without question, and so it becomes necromancy because these apparitions are from a woman who died bodily, and there is no scripture reference to Mary's assumption in the Bible, and this teaching is based on oral tradition, nothing more than that. But yet, when you look at the example in, in 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 22-25, they said the saints are alive in heaven, so they're not communicating to the dead, they're communicating to the living. Very much what Saul did when he was communicating to Samuel who was in heaven because Samuel was a prophet of God. Um, he was very much alive because he was... Um, he was of God, he believed in God, he trusted and obeyed God, etc. And so, uh, here is Saul trying to communicate to Samuel to get a message. But in this case, Roman Catholics would often um, pray to Mary, ask Mary to intercede on our behalf, and then relay the message through the Vatican. It's filtered in um, right to the layperson. So the layperson receives the messages from these apparitions. Um, so, the question here is, is the Mary movement within the Catholic Church biblical? Now, in the book, Our Case Against Rome, page 125, Gerson is quoted by Cardinal Manning. It says, the Roman uh, divines distinguish between three kinds of devotion or worship. The first is Dolia which is the veneration due to the saints. The second is hyper, um, hyperdolia, and higher veneration due only to God himself. And thus, they deny that Latria is ever paid to the Virgin, and consequently they repudiate the term Mariolatry, which means offering of the Latria to Mary. I know it's complicated, but they like to complicate everything, but this is what they explain, uh, how they explain it. Doubtless, in the early ages of the Roman Church, this distinction was maintained. But in modern times, since the uh, Tridentine uh, decrees, 
such extravagant a language has been used that it is impossible to make the smallest distinction between the prayers offered even to Mary that we may add even to Joseph. The term Mariolatry is therefore um, no whit too strong to describe the present day worship of paid to the Virgin. The three persons of the early Trinity, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, are placed exactly on an equality with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Thus the pages may be filled with divine or quasi-divine titles which have been given by the Roman Catholic Church writers to the Virgin. And since all their books have been received, the non-obstate and um, uh, of the authorities of the church itself is committed to them. These uh, are the few expressions used, and these are the titles. Queen of Heaven and Earth, Pope Pius, Co-Redeemer of the Human Race, Mediatrix, Spouse of the Holy Spirit. This was um, Hedona Marina. Uh, she was a Catholic mystic. Mistress, mistress of the World, The Little Office of the Immaculate Conception, Queen of Angels, Hope of Men, Saint Liguri, Spouse of the Eternal, Saint uh, Bonaventura, uh, Our Refuge, Help and Asylum, Saint Liguini, Liguri, sorry, Lady and Mistress of the Universe, Racolata. Uh, these these are people. Um, Advocate, Refuge of Sinners, Our Mighty and Kind Mother, Pope Leo. Um, in a word, Mary participates by grace in all the titles which Jesus enjoys by nature. Devotion of the Sacred Heart, Dublin, 1840. The titles given in veneration to Mary seem to be worshipful, yet the Roman Catholic Church rejects the idea that she has been worshipped, stating that Mary is given on in recognition to the reverence of her title, Mother of God. However, nothing can be further from the truth. The Glories of Mary and it is a classical book in the field of Roman Catholic Mariology. Written during the 18th century by St. Alphonsus Liguri, a doctor, doctor of the church. They quote on page 566, At the command of Mary, uh, all obey, even God. Here we have a clear example of Rome's devotion to Mary placed above even God himself. The popes and those who the Church of Rome hold in high regard have condemned the act of worship and veneration given to Mary and the saints. This reduces the importance of Christ and the attempt to take the focus away from our only saviour, Jesus Christ. So, we look at what was written about Mary. For example... Thomas Aquinas God has entrusted the keys of, uh, and the treasures of heaven to Mary Saint Bernard Holy Scripture was written to Mary, about Mary and on the account of Mary Saint Augustine Who can worthily think and adequately praise thee, O Blessed Virgin by whose fiat saved the lost world Pope Pius The foundation of all our confidence is found in the Blessed Virgin Mary God has committed to her the treasury of all good things in order that everyone may know that through her 
are obtained every hope, every grace and all salvation. For this is will that we obtain everything through Mary. St. John Christostrome Sinners receive pardon by the intercession of Mary alone. St. Bonaventure No one ever finds Christ with and through Mary. Whoever seeks Christ apart from Mary seeks him in vain. Pope Benedict All those who seek Mary's protection will be saved from all eternity. Pope Pius What will it cost you, O Mary, to hear our prayer? What will it cost you to save us? Has Jesus not placed in your hands all the treasures of his grace and mercy? You sit crowned queen of the right hand of your son. Your dominion reaches as far as the heavens, and to you are the subject of the earth and all creatures dwelling thereon. Your dominion reaches even down to the abyss of hell, and you alone, O Mary, saved us from the hands of Satan. Pope Benedict Mary alone, Mary, not one of thy devout servants have ever perished, may I too be saved. This places Mary in the position where she has divinity. We read the words of Peter, whom the Roman Catholic Church declares to be the first Pope of the Church, not that I believe he is. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, refutes these claims. Thus Rome makes herself an enemy of the cross. Neither is there found salvation found in any other. For there is no other name under heaven which is given amongst men which whereby we must be saved. Rome of the Early Church by A.C. McKinnon Published in 1933 Page 159 says... This introduces to the controversial question, on these mutual records of the early church, the finest shadow of the worship of the Virgin is there a fine shadow of the worship of the Virgin Mary? And the direct answer is demanded. I would say not before the fourth century, perhaps the picture which portrays the first hint of this new cult is one on the very catacomb that we uh, are visiting. Here is a fresco of the Mar of Mary and the Child, and we note the establishments which suggest veneration, if not worship. The date cannot be earlier than towards the end of the 4th century. Much of what the books speak on the subject can be seen through paintings it describes as clear indictions. The question still remains, is Rome guilty of Mariolatry. Mariolatry, the religious system which it really involves into serious and, extend, and extended that it needs special consideration. In order to give a particular honour to the Virgin Mary, Rome has invented the term hyperdulia to signify veneration and worship due to her which is above the julia due to the saints and the inferior of the highest degree worship. Latria, which is due to God, such an artificial distinction falls in, it, uh, in practice. As it is necessary that, um, it's necessary must do when the same visible acts are rendered to one as the other kneeling, bowing, 
prostration and very similar services are provided with special indulgences. When the books of devotion include prayer intercession and the direct request to Mary which are suitable only to God in Christ, this cult or worship of the Virgin Mary really advanced by leaps and bounds. In the ancient service books, the Mizzle and the um, Brivery, the prayers usually and only plead the merits of the intercession of Mary and unscriptural and authorised practice, yet it's far removed from modern invocations. Thus the service of the Mass, second Sunday after Easter, there occurs the plea, Having received, O Lord, these help of, helps of our salvation grant, we beseech thee that they may be everywhere protected by the patronage of the Blessed Mary, ever virgin in veneration of whom we have made these offerings to thy majesty, and this is during the Eucharist. In the uh, breviary, there is a distinct advance, the prayers offered to the Virgin Mary herself, yet asking only her intercession. Blessed Mother Virgin, undefiled, glorious Queen of Heaven, intercede for us with the Lord. So a prayer to Mary at the celebration of the Mass, O Mother of Pity and Mercy, the Most Blessed Virgin, I, a miserable and unworthy sinner, flee to thee for my, with my whole heart and affection I pray thee sweet pity um, that thou didst stand by thy sweetest son upon the cross and thou wouldst um, uh, thou wouldst vouchsafe of thy clamacy um, to stand by me a miserable priest an old priest who here and in all the holy churches offer him this day that added by thy grace that we enable to offer worthy and acceptable victim in the, in the sort of the most high and undivided trinity what a blasphemous prayer um, then in the Roman ritual pray, prayers are directed to the virgin for benefits of her own gifts without any reference to intercession and they say under thy protection we take refuge, Holy Mother of God, despise not our supplications and our necessities, but from all dangers do thou deliver us, O glorious and blessed Virgin. This describes a form of worship by the Roman Catholic Church, and this shows the Catholic Church's relationship to the Queen of Heaven worthy of praise and worship. This contrary to the Holy Scriptures as seen in Psalm chapter 18 verse Three, uh, which says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And that's chapter 14, verse 8 to 18, which says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent at his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never walked. And the same heard Paul spoke, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be um, healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up right on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when he the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, singing the speech in this in the speech of Lyconia. 
The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, and they are called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, Mercury, Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter before was before the city, brought oxygen, uh, sorry, brought oxen and gar, um, garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people which the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of. They rent their clothes and ran amongst them, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you uh, do these things? We are also men of, of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which is made, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things therein, whom time past suffered all the nations to walk with their own ways, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven, and a fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained thy people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. God alone is to be worshipped. Matthew chapter 4 verse 10 says Jesus said unto him get thee hence satan for it is written thou shalt worship the lord thy god and him only shall thou serve didn't say mary but it says god and here is rome in these statements saying you know doing these uh uh pray these giving these praises and they say, we praise thee, O Mary, or the mother of God. We acknowledge thee to be a virgin. All the earth do worship thee, the spouse of the eternal, and all the angels and the archangels and the principalities serve thee. Now they said in the church of Rome, we acknowledge thee to be the virgin, and all the earth does worship you. It's not saying Jesus, it's saying Mary. The angels in heaven sing, holy, holy, holy. To God, not to Mary. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. And Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 states, states this. But Rome states, To thy glory the angels forever sing, Holy, 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 Mary, mother of God. Revelation 4 8 says, Holy, holy, holy to, the fa to God who is in heaven. Didn't say the mother. But both... What they say is both a mother and a virgin, the glorious company of the apostles praise thee, and the mother of the creator, a lady, save thy people, we may partake of the inheritance of thy son, that governs us and guards us forever without sin. Again, we see more blasphemous statements by the Vatican given. And they're saying, they're appealing to Mary for salvation, they're appealing to her. When Jesus said quite clearly in the scripture that there's no name given unto men, no other name apart from Jesus who's given unto men, which is essential for salvation. It was the only name under heaven, and Mary was not that name. Uh, but yet they're asking Mary to invoke. They're invoking Mary in order to intercede on their behalf, and they're crying out, Please, Mary, save us, and they're not going to Jesus Christ. And yet, 
Uh, I will be covering on the whole ecumenical issue, the issue around transform transformation theology, and the 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 saying, Rome is Christian. They love Jesus. They love the Lord. But then, this is what they say about Mary. How can we have mixture when Rome holds to such abominations? Anyway, I'm going to continue uh, next week with the subject of the Immaculate Conception. Um, that's what I want to cover on. And then I'm going to go on to the next subject. Um, we're eventually, we're probably looking at the um, whole area of ecumenism, what it is. Um, and how, you know, the church is un unawares, not realising, they think, oh, you know, Rome is changing its ways. It's not actually, it's repackaging itself, but it's the same, the teachings don't actually change. These are dogmas, so they remain. Anyway, if you're a Roman Catholic, I want to urge you and encourage you to come out of the Church of Rome. Um, because Rome... Well, the Vatican, they nullify the gospel, they attack, and they rob you of your salvation. And really, we want to see you reconcile, we want to see you born again. But you certainly cannot remain to be in Christ if you're in um, a blasphemous, a system that is an abomination, an idolatrous system. Um, so we really urge you to come out of the Church of Rome. I'm going to continue this uh, study uh, next week and just want to say God bless you. And I hope you can uh, join us then. Take care. Maranatha.